Well, good morning, everybody. Boy, you are the brave ones, right? You, can, can you hear me? I, there we go. Now I can hear myself. I'm a little nervous when I can't hear myself. So you guys are the brave ones. Is anybody else's driveway as icy as mine is? It's like, now, on the street, there's, there's as much salt on my street as a Bush Stadium pretzel. It's like crusty out there, but you have to get past the driveway to get there. I'm, I'm glad you made it here today. We've got some folks that are over at the other campus, at the Darden Prairie Church campus. I will be going over there in a little bit here, but I'm glad I get to open our time together. Yes, the sermon's a little early in the service today, so, but we're kind of splitting that up. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit here. You know, one of the greatest athletes of our time, and maybe one of the greatest athletes of all of history, um, was somebody that just everybody knew. There was a time when you just said basketball, everybody immediately thought of one person. Michael Jordan, right? It would probably take the entire sermon time and then some to go through all the things that Michael Jordan accomplished in his career. Uh, Just a few things come to my mind, like the game where he personally scored 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. That wasn't the whole score of the game. That was just how much Michael Jordan contributed to the score. Or the famous flu game, where despite having the flu or food poisoning, Michael Jordan put in 38 points all by himself. Amazing. Let me just uh, list a few of Michael Jordan's accomplishments if you are somehow unfamiliar with him. Six-time NBA champion, five-time NBA most valuable player, ten-time scoring champion. He put the winning shot in 28 times in his career. Amazing. Three-time NBA NBA All-Star Game MVP, six-time NBA Finals most valuable player, NBA, NBA Rookie of the Year in 1985, and Defensive Player of the Year in 1988. He was a two-time slam dunk champion for the NBA slam dunk contest. On top of that, ESPN ranked him the number one North American athlete in the 20th century. Number one. On top of all that, he was a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And he's such an extraordinary athlete. Remember that time that he went through his little Major League Baseball phase? And he plays golf at pretty much nearly a pro level. What can Mike not do? Then you just look at him. He's like, there are so many legendary basketball players out there today. But Michael Jordan still is at the top of the heap, which is why somebody created one of my favorite internet memes of all time. We got it up there. Children, please. He's just such an awarded man. Can we all just agree Michael Jordan's an extraordinary athlete? Have I proved my point yet? As good as he was and as good as he probably still is, I always wondered, what's Michael Jordan going to do after basketball? What do you do when, like, you were at the peak and the pinnacle, and everybody wants to be like Mike, and like every room you walk into, you're the most important person, and you know, you're just the greatest. What do you do after that as you inevitably get older and as you decline? How do you handle all of that and not let it consume you? Well, Michael Jordan turned 50 last year. I don't know if you knew that, and ESPN caught up with him, and they did a great interview with him. They just want to see what life's like for Mike after basketball. Now he's doing Hanes commercials and you know, all that other stuff. They said this in the article. It said, Jordan might have stopped playing basketball, but the rage is still there. The fire remains, which is why he searches for release on the the golf course or at the blackjack table or why he spends so much time and energy on his Charlotte Bobcats, why he even dreams of, get this, returning to play. He actually said in that interview, I think I could still be competitive. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he could be. They said in the article, as the flicker of immortality fades, Jordan stares in the mirror wondering where to turn. And this is a quote that Michael actually said this about himself. He said, how can I enjoy the next 20 years without so much of this consuming me? How can I find peace away from the game of basketball? I think it's a question 
that kind of brings up a question that we all ought to be asking ourselves. And that is, how do we live a life of significance? How do we leave a legacy? How do we make an impact in the world so that we make ripples, and yet at the same time, that legacy creation doesn't consume us? How do we do that? Maybe you ask those questions sometimes yourself. I will tell you, these are great questions to ask no matter how old or how young you are. How can I make an impact with my life? It's a question whether or not you're a spiritual or religious person at all. You probably want to ask that question. How do I make an impact with my life? Maybe you've found yourself asking this, like, all these long hours that I'm putting in at work, what am I really accomplishing? You know, all, all this time and effort I put into being a good parent, you know, I don't want to be a bad parent, I'm really trying to be an intentional parent, what's this really doing? You know, this degree that I'm working so hard to get, at the end of it, when I've got the degree, what's really going to be the difference? Or you say, you know, I'm accumulating money, and, but is there something more than that to my life? What is it that I'm doing that's significant? What, when I'm gone, what will people remember about me? What difference am I making in the world? What am I doing that will last beyond my lifetime? I want you to know this. It is never too early to think about the legacy you will leave, to think about how you can make an impact with your life that doesn't consume you at the same time. If you're not thinking about that, this would be a great time to start thinking about that. And I want us to look at the life of someone that we met last week, someone you saw in the video here, the life of a man named Paul. We know him as Saul or Paul, met him in the story last week. And he's a pretty significant guy in terms of legacy and impact in world history. Even today, people know that Paul, and usually they attach a, a prefix to it. It's like the Apostle Paul or Saint Paul, which is a big deal because you don't just get to be saint by accident, right? It's a pretty big deal. Truth told, though, that biblically we're all saints, but that's a whole different sermon. But Paul's a pretty big deal. Here's another reason why Paul made such a significant impact. He wrote a good chunk of this. I don't know if you knew that, but Paul wrote 14 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. It's amazing. It's like over half. I know I, I used a calculator. It's a lot. He's, he's made a, a big impact and a big splash in our world. And as famous as Michael Jordan is, Paul was and always will be somebody that people know. And I think he has something to teach us about how to live a life that does make a difference and how to not at the same time be consumed with that, be just burned up with it. So we're going to look at that later in the service this morning. If you got one of these, or if you got something on your phone, just go ahead and turn to Philippians 2. You can be ready for this. This is later in the service. I'm not actually bringing that part of the message, though. Kyle Sackett, one of our elders, will be bringing that part of the message as we look at Philippians 2. As I said, I am heading over to Darden Prairie. Uh, I get to preach another sermon today over there. Darden Prairie Church, if you're unfamiliar, they're in the process of going through Cannonball like we went through last year. They're in the process of considering becoming a part of our church family, joining two churches into one. Um, I think they pretty much made up their mind that they're, they're in. They're all in. But their big Sunday is February 16th. That's the day where they make the final commitment. And so you can be praying for them. Because February 23rd, assuming they just choose to go forward, and I believe they will, will be their first of many Sundays that they'll be here with us. And our, our futures will be combined together. So just be praying about their decision as they decide to go all in and make an impact and make ripples that go out into eternity. I really think that our churches together uh, are going to make an impact. There's going to be people in heaven because of what we choose to do now. And so we need to be praying about that, thinking about that. This is a big thing for them, a big step that they have to take. But we can be praying. We can also be thinking about how we can make them feel welcome and include them and in every way just make sure that that transition goes well because we've got bigger things than just 
us coming together. We've got Easter coming. There are people in Darden Prairie and O'Fallon who need to know the Lord, and we'll know the Lord through our church. So as I go, just pray for them. In fact, I would invite you to pray with me right now. Father, I thank you for today that we can gather here in your name, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to worship. And I pray as we do, that our hearts would just simply be open to you. That you would teach us how to use our lives in such a way that's not for us, that we're not here just to satisfy ourselves, but that we are here because you put us here. And that you've got something great that you want to do through us. So I pray that our hearts would be open as, as your word is open today, as Kyle teaches, that you just teach through him, that he would do such a good job of sharing what you would have us know. I pray for Darden Prairie Church as they are courageously taking these steps forward. Please just make this transition good and that we would just very clearly know that you're a part of it. I thank you for everyone who is here today, and I pray that as we continue to worship, as we continue to fellowship with each other, that we would walk out of here just very much aware that we've been in your presence today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to part two. <laughs> I guess we're going to be part of a tag team. Uh, it's not too bad having uh, Brian Fakes go before you. I'm going to make one promise this morning. And since uh, Mr. Fakes has left, I am not going to abuse the Cubs today in my sermon. <laughs> That's far too easy. I wouldn't want to do that. You know, Brian introduced earlier, and what we're going to do is take a look at how Paul teaches us to have an impact on our world. What Paul is going to tell us about leaving a lasting legacy um, into eternity. This morning I'd like to introduce you to, to Brenton Hayden. Do we have a picture of Brenton? Is he up there? All right. Brenton here, as a young man, in this, in, I think around 20, decided, hey, I want to retire when I'm 27. And he did the math and said, I need $7 million in net equity to be able to, to retire and accomplish what, what I want to accomplish in life. Now, Brenton here is an avowed atheist, and when asked about his philosophy in life, he said this, Mine is simple. You are dead. You are dirt. The end. Game over. Thank you and goodbye. Tell you what, Brenton here succeeded. He had $7 million by his 27th birthday. Brenton, when interviewed, said, Hey, I work if I feel like working. If I want to run off to Peru, I run off to Peru. You know, Brenton may have achieved everything he set out for himself. But as we look at what Paul tells us in Philippians, we'll learn from Paul that there is so much more and that we can reach a lasting impact and we can have an eternal legacy. There is a way for what we do here in our lives to ripple off into eternity. Philippians is one of the last letters that Paul penned maybe second to last, depending on what scholar you talk to. And he's sitting in prison, and as the, the video at this morning, there's debate about whether it's his first Roman imprisonment or the second one, so whether he's sitting in a house that he's renting or if he's bound in chains. But he's got three decades of ministry. Over half of Paul's life, he's reflecting on what he has done in ministry for Christ. 
And in Philippians, in Philippians, he's going to hit on a couple of topics. In chapter 3, he'll talk to us about how Christ exhorts us and asks us to push on and finish strong. And in chapter 4, we're going to be asked to be joyful and content. And I'd encourage you to, to read through Philippians. But today, we're going to, we're going to start in chapter 2, and we're going to kind of focus on what Paul has to tell us there. You know, sitting in prison, you got plenty of time. And, you know, I think a number of Paul's letters were written while he's sitting in prison. And he decides to write this letter to his friends in Philippi. And Paul's been there at least twice as he's gone on his um, missionary journeys. And if you don't recall, in Philippians is where he met Lydia. And he led Lydia and her whole family to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And he was so successful in, in Philippi that uh, they decided that they needed to throw him in jail. And Paul and his friends found themselves in jail, and they were worshiping through the night. And so in the middle of the night, they're singing and praising God, and miraculously the doors of the jail just open. And I don't know if you're like me, I'd have just, <laughs> I'd have been headed for the hills. No questions asked. That's an easy decision for me. But Paul and his friends, they decide to stay, and the jailer returns. And it's through the, the testimony of his unwillingness to leave and then telling the jailer why he stayed and what he lived for that he led that jailer and that jailer's family that night to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So it's to these believers that he's writing um, some reminders and some exhortations. Um, in chapter 2, he's going to tell them, and I'd say by extension us, that we need to align our purpose with the purpose of Jesus. You know, I know in my life I find it hard to align my purpose with anyone's purpose. It doesn't matter if it was my parents, my siblings, my college roommate, my wife, my children, my coworkers, and it is always hard to come and align ourselves into a common purpose. Tell you what, funny story from my past. I think I, my wife knows this one. She may shoot me afterwards. The first time I got a car at school, and I went to school in Joplin, my parents came on parents' weekend, and they brought the extra family car and you know, handed me the keys and said, take care. So naturally being, I don't know how old I was, 18 or 19, what was the first thing I did? I stomped on that accelerator, found a date, and went to lunch immediately. And so the girl that I took... We got in the car at, at Ozark Christian College in the northwest corner of Joplin, drove all the way to Range Line and 32nd Street, which is the extreme southeast corner. We drove by every known chain, type of restaurant, anything you could imagine, and we could not agree on a restaurant. So naturally, I did what every uh, red-blooded American young boy would do. I made an illegal U-turn on a 5 five-lane road and got T-boned. So, great first and last date. <laughs> Did not go far. But if such mundane thing, trying to find somewhere to go to lunch, can be difficult in our lives, how much more difficult can it be for us to find unity and find alignment with someone when it's something as critical as our spiritual life. 
Paul addresses this in Philippians 2, and um, he's going to encourage us that we, that we can have a legacy, we can have an eternal impact, and it is by imitating Christ that we can do this. The first way he calls us to this is by asking us to set aside our ego. Paul tells us, set aside your own selfish nature. Hear what he says in the first couple of verses of chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. <laughs> this sounds easy, doesn't it? Be like-minded, be of one spirit. Hey, don't be selfish, don't be conceited. If you're like me, and I've kind of already mentioned this, you struggle with this. I walk in the hall here and I struggle with it. There's a table of donuts. I want the donut that I want. I need the drink that I want. I walk in this door and I gotta have the seat that I think has my name on it, right? That's kind of the way we are. That's our, you know, our, our human nature. So how is it that when we have this human nature that we align ourselves, align our ego with that of Jesus Christ? Later in chapter 2, and I'm not going into any great detail with these, Paul gives us three suggestions. He tells us, obey the scripture, have a healthy fear of God, and this is probably the most practical, stop arguing and complaining. If I can just shut my mouth and stop complaining about things, that would improve stuff. I'll tell you this, it is only when I set aside my own desires that I can finally have a chance to align my purpose with that of Jesus. It's at that point that I can start focusing on the words that Jesus gives us in the scripture. It's at that point that I can finally start applying them in my life. It's when I stop arguing and complaining to God that I can finally allow his, his will to be sculptured in my life. Some of you might know that I'm a football official and I sucked, I sucked Brian Heinrich into this. Last year I was having a chat with arguably one of our least um, successful high school coaches in the area and I won't, I won't divulge who this guy is, but we were discussing a group of fouls called illegal contact. And I was telling him about all the rules related to this and their applications. And this guy just looked me straight in the face and he said, more or less, I don't care. He says, this is how we play football here. This is the rule. This is how I teach my guys to play. And I don't care what you say the rule book says. This is what we do. And is it any wonder that he has players that lack focus, lack basic skills, get penalized a lot? You know, what this coach is doing, what we do in our lives is we're playing some glorified game, game of King of the Mountain. And, you know, when we stop needing to be King of the Mountain, when my way or the highway is not our personal motto, 
when I can set that aside, that's when I can finally start looking and see what God has in plan for me, what's best for me. And again, it's at that point that I can start having a faith legacy. And it's at that point that something with eternal consequences can start happening. But Paul goes beyond simply telling us that we need to do this and live this kind of life. He gives us an example. Really, he gives us the ultimate example here in chapter 2. In verses 5 through 7, he describes the example of Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Do, do you understand the magnitude of this example here? This is Jesus who was willing to leave his power and authority behind. He emptied himself of, of all the trappings of heaven. He set aside his royalty. He didn't cling his position he like it said made himself nothing he became a servant Paul is telling us that Jesus is the perfect example of humility Jesus is the perfect example of selflessness don't think that Paul's telling us here that what Jesus did is like some glorified version of Undercover Boss. And I don't know if you're familiar with this show. But, you know, Jesus didn't put on a bad wig, come to earth for an afternoon or a couple of afternoons for some semi-scripted, set-up, contrived, you know, program to learn about the, uh, the struggles of humanity. No, this was the God of the universe setting aside everything that he had. This is our creator choosing to leave his home and come to ours. When Paul tells us that we need to set aside our egos on a shelf, if we want to have spiritual impact, he's simply asking us to imitate the example of Jesus. But beside the task of just setting my ego aside, and I really, you know, now we all know it's a simple thing, right? Paul continues, and he's going to challenge us a little bit further. And he's going to ask that we set others in the place that we had established for ourselves. In verses 3 and 4, we are called to care for each other. It says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not, I'm sorry, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. This is an incredible command, isn't it? Value someone else as highly or more highly than yourself. We are to, and the word here is humble ourselves. Paul is asking us to humble ourselves and value others. And again, I've got to admit, man, there's real struggle in my life to have humility and to set others above or, you know, in the place that I would have set for myself. 
you know, with my wife and my children, with my coworkers and my neighbors. Yet Paul's saying that we're to be this way with everybody. And I struggle in the closest relationships that I have. We don't have to, to, to go very far in our society to find examples of excess and ego. You just got to watch the news. If you, if you think about it, and I don't know why the, or I think the Illinois governor was doing his state of the state speech. Two of the last three governors of the state of Illinois, where'd they go? They went to prison for corruption. And it doesn't matter who the celebrity of the week is, but watching the news last week, every single night the same name popped up because of his excessive ego, and that's our buddy Justin uh, Bieber. You know, we, we don't have to look far. But don't we all really struggle with ego? We just don't make it on the news. The things that I struggle with don't necessarily get me thrown in jail for corruption, but that doesn't mean that I don't have a problem with, with this. But if we want to leave that le the lasting legacy, if we want to make a wave that, that has some, some lasting effect, don't we need to learn to humble ourselves? And again, I'm thankful that, that Paul gives us the example here that we need. And again, it's Jesus. Jesus is our perfect, perfect example of humility. Isn't humility an odd thing? It's a really weird word. And when I get to thinking about it, if I do something that's humble, wouldn't you say that's a positive thing? And indeed, most of society is going to look at us and, and, and maybe even say, hey, you know, some humility in certain areas is great when you decide that you're going to humble yourself. But on the other hand, we also use that exact same word as something that's done to you. You are humbled or you are humiliated. And that has massive negative connotation in our language. But our perfect example here, Jesus, the word humble is used about him repeatedly. In the case of Jesus, we are looking at the ultimate example of self-humility. It says this of him in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So not only did we get the example of Jesus just lowering himself, humbling himself in ego by becoming a man and entering humanity, he willingly laid down his life for us. It still isn't easy for me to humble myself or to set myself or set others above myself. Um, but we begin to see the value of the sacrifices that we make by the setting aside of our egos when we are able to look and focus upon what Jesus has done for us. And it's through focusing on that that we can be encouraged to continue. I want to read something that, you know, I told you we weren't going to focus on chapter 3 or 4, but we're going to hop up into the middle of chapter 3. It says this, and, and Paul tries to put everything, all of this that I've been talking about, into perspective in chapter 3, 12 through 14. It says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul acknowledges here, man, there is struggle in my life. We're all going to have struggle. But he continues to strive to live out his faith. He uses words like strain towards, press on. These are things you'd hear your coach in track yelling at you. Paul knows that it is difficult, but he also knows its ultimate great value. Paul knows that by keeping his focus on the ultimate and eternal goal, he is able to accomplish something. So as we close, um, I'd like to share one last story with you. And hopefully a little picture of a, of a race is going to pop up here. I'd like to introduce you to a couple of guys. This is from a race in 2012 that took place in Spain. World-class runners. The, the Ethiopian guy here is an Olymp Olympic medalist. So they're doing this long-distance race, and as they are coming to the finish, it's obvious to everyone that this Ethiopian guy is going to win the race. And for whatever reason, the way they had set up the finish, he assumes he's done. And prior to the finish, he goes into his little cool-down jog mode. And so he's just trotting to the finish line. And this other gentleman with him is Ivan Anya, or something like that, Spanish guy. And he is running full tilt to win the race. When he looks up and realizes that he can just blow past this guy and win the race. And it's at this moment that he, he just, at the snap, decides to do something. And he stops. And he puts his arm around the guy. And I love the picture. He points. He says, There's the finish line. And he refused to pass him. And they ran to the finish line together. And the, the Ethiopian guy won the race. And when interviewed about it, Ivan just said, I didn't win that race. This guy just got confused about the finish line. But I had to stop and point the way to him. Isn't this a beautiful picture? A picture of what Paul is trying to teach us here? This is the attitude that Paul desires that we have. He wants us to understand there's, there's a greater prize. Ivan could have won a race one day, but he got something magnificently greater than a little medallion to hang around his neck by doing what he did. Paul wants us to understand that by setting aside ourselves and by looking at others and seeing them as greater, we accomplish the things that Jesus set out for us to accomplish, and indeed the things that Jesus exhibited in his own life and that he wants us to accomplish. Brian has mentioned a lot of times recently, Brian Fakes, that our goal here, not just in what we're doing every day, but in what we've been talking to Darden Prairie about is that we want to see something eternal come out of it. You know, Brian says, hey, 40 years from now, I want someone saved because of something I did today, and even if I'm not alive, when we're in heaven, someone's going to come to me and tap me on the shoulders and say, thank you for something I didn't know I did. Well, I might have known I did it, but I didn't know I was doing it for that specific person. He wants someone to say, thank you 
that you invested the time, that you invested the money, that you invested the relationship in me so that I could come to know Jesus. As a church, this is what we, we long to see exhibited in our lives and in the lives of the people that choose to attend here. And again, we would like to welcome you if you're a visitor. Um, Brian is away over at Darden Prairie. He has um, Randy Smith with, the, Smith with him, who's one of the elders. If you have questions about our church or about something I've said today, please find me. Please find Brian Heinrich. We'd love to talk to you today.